You're listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. Good evening again. Uh, I'm going to start tonight by telling you about a guy named Steve Kaler. Steve Kaler, I don't know if any of you know him. Uh, He was born in Hamburg, New York. He graduated from high school in Baltimore, class of 97. And now he lives in Pennsylvania, so you know he's far enough away I don't think any of you know him. Uh, He works as an insurance salesman on the weekdays. On the weekends he works out Lowe's. Uh, Got those two jobs going. And he's been married since the year 2000. He has uh, four daughters. And he likes to, uh, he enjoys sports quite a bit, especially football, basketball, uh, professional college. He's all about those sports. And in his spare time, he likes reading uh, the Bible, but especially study Bibles. He's especially fond of uh, Matthew Henry's commentary on the whole Bible, uh, which is fairly well known for commentary. You can read the whole thing online. Uh, Matthew Henry wrote a long time ago. He likes that. So, you know, I have a confession about Steve Kaler is I don't know him either. Uh, none of you know him. I don't know him. And you might have known that by the things I was saying about him. It sounded like a dating profile, which it wasn't. It's was actually his Facebook profile. So uh, this guy, Steve Kaler, apparently had heard me on the radio, which is mind-boggling, and he requested me to be his friend on Facebook, and I accepted him. And then to get all this info, I like deeply Facebook creeped his profile. Uh, it, was, it was kind of embarrassing, uh, but I, I went very deeply into it and read all about his about me and stuff to get all this information. Plus, I see his posts and stuff. Put it together in a you know kind of a, a basic picture of Steve Kaler. Now, you know, I know some things about him, and now you do. If we ever uh, meet him, we can say we know these things about him. Uh, but I don't know him, right? And, you know, there's a big difference. I don't know the things that he worries about. I don't know when was the last time he cried, if ever. You know, I don't know if he's that kind of guy. Uh, if he, You know, when's the last time he cried? I don't know what keeps him up at night. I don't know what he sounds like. I don't know what makes him laugh. I just know some facts about him. Or really the image he's presented of himself. Like, I don't even know if that's what he's really like. Maybe it's all made up. I don't know. So, you know, I mean, this is like the standard 21st century illustration of the difference of knowing about somebody versus knowing somebody. You can know all these facts about someone without really knowing a person. And unfortunately, you know, this is where a lot of us are with God is knowing things about him rather than knowing him personally. Knowing facts, liking his Facebook page, so to speak. Knowing like the basic rundown about who God is, a couple Bible verses, rather than having a personal relationship with him. Just knowing some stuff about him. And there's two big problems that comes into play when that's how we are. And 
I don't want to, I don't want you to tune out and think, well, I know God. I have a personal relationship with Him. I think we all have this sort of, these two tendencies. There's the one way we lean where we think we know more about God than we really do. And it's this idea that, you know, I've seen his Facebook profile and now I know everything about him. I've read the Bible. I pray. I go to church. I'm born again. And now I know everything about God. Now, I don't think anyone who's a Christian would say that. But sometimes we can practically live that way that we know more about God than we really do. The other problem is not knowing God at all, really. Knowing his Facebook profile, but not knowing him as a person. Where it's, you know, I've seen his Facebook profile. I know some things about God and that's good enough. I'm fine with that. Or not even knowing that there's more we can know. Like a lot of people I don't think know Just know that you can have a real relationship with God, not just knowing stuff about Him, but know Him personally. And see, it's these these problems, the difference of knowing God and knowing things about Him, that shows itself, like I said, either we think we know more than we do, or we're satisfied with not knowing enough. And it's it's this issue we're going to look at tonight in the book of Job. In uh, Job chapter 25 and 26, they're going to talk about knowing God having a relationship with God. And so these two chapters in the, the context of the whole book are the end of Job's conversation with his friends. So since like chapter 4, Job's friends showed up and they showed up to try to comfort him. So Job had lost everything in his life. His possessions were destroyed. His house destroyed. His kids died and his health was taken away. And it all happened because, not because Job was a terrible guy who deserved it, but because God was bragging about Job to Satan. We need to remember that. God was bragging about Job to Satan. Satan accused Job to God and said, if you take away his stuff, he'll curse you to your face. God says, go ahead and do it. So Satan does. And that's the setup of the story. And they... Like I said, all that happens is kids die, his, he loses his health, he loses everything he has, and he's in the pits of despair. And after his friends show up and they give him a week, it says of silence. They don't say a word for a whole week. Well, and then in Job chapter 4, his friends open their mouth and they spend about two verses being helpful. And then they spend about 20 chapters knocking him down. And this is the end of their conversations. This is Bildad's third time speaking. Job interrupts him and cuts him off, and that's it. That's the last we hear from these original friends. There's secret, you know, a secret friend like creeping in the bushes. I don't know where he's been, but Elihu comes out in a couple chapters, says, Hey guys, listen to me. But for these three original friends, this is it. This is the end of their conversation. And we see how it's degenerated. That they started trying to help Job, then they start pointing out potential sin in his life, coming up with all these reasons why God would do that. Job doesn't buy it. He knows God wouldn't do that to him, that he's been righteous. And so they start arguing. The friends get mad because Job doesn't accept their little, you know, religious platitudes, their little reasons for everything. Job doesn't accept it. And then before you know it, they're debating theology. They're not even talking about his problems. They're just debating issues about God. And they've gotten completely off topic. And at this point, Job is done. But what they end with here is Bildad repeating the same argument they've been saying the whole time. We know what God is doing and you don't. We are righteous. We've studied God. You haven't, Job. And they have this position of like superiority over him. 
So that's what we're going to see tonight in these two chapters. Bildad, once again, asserting he knows what God is doing. Job saying, I don't think we know. And that's it for their conversation. But what the issue is, what we're getting at again, is that relationship with God. The personal relationship with God versus just knowing some stuff about him. Bildad is the guy I was talking about who thinks he knows more about God than he really does. Job is somewhat the guy who thinks like God is unknowable and we can't really know him. So we're going to look at this problem. And the the thing that I'm praying about as I'm studying this and hoping that's helped me and hopefully will help you is that because we can know God, that's our truth, because we can know God, we need to dig into that relationship. Not be satisfied with, I know enough. Not think we know more than we do, but dig into that relationship. I might say that's the most important thing we can do on this earth once we've recognized Jesus as Lord and Savior is dig into that relationship with God and not just be satisfied where things are. That personal, life-changing relationship with Him. So let's read Job chapter 25. And this is Bildad. And his attitude, if we read the whole context, and with Job, you really have to keep, I mean, always in the Bible, but Job especially, context is so important because it tells a whole story. And Job's friends are very wrong. And so in context, he's repeating the same argument. He knows what God is doing. So let's read chapter 25. It's a short one because Job interrupts him. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, Dominion and fear belong to him. He makes peace in his high places. Is there any number to his armies? Upon whom does his light not rise? How then can man be righteous before God? Or how can he be pure who is born of a woman? If even the moon does not shine and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is a maggot and a son of man who is a worm? And that's it. And Job interrupts him. And so Bildad is, again, he's saying, I've got God figured out. How can man be righteous before God if even the moon doesn't shine in God's sight? He says, how much worse are people? And so what he's telling Job is, again, you deserved what happened to you. There's a secret sin in your life that God is punishing you for, and we see that all around us. That's what the friends are saying. Wicked people always get bad things happening to them. Righteous people are always blessed. Therefore, if bad things are happening to you, you're wicked. If good things happen to you, you're righteous. It's that basic religious lie we, we sometimes think, but that's very wrong. So all the friends, and Bildad here in particular again, is saying, I look at some things going on outside your life, Job, and come to conclusions about what God is doing. I've got God figured out. I know more about God than I think I do. Now, when you read it though, if you just read these verses for what they are, not in the context of their whole conversation, I would say Bildad makes some good points. He brings up some good questions. How can man be righteous before God? How can he be pure who is born of a woman? I mean, that's a good question. And so keeping the whole thing in perspective, why so harsh with the friends? And why, why can I say that Bildad thinks he knows more about God than he really does? Now I'm going to give you a little spoiler about what God says about the friends in Job chapter 42. And this is kind of the lens we have to look at for all of the things the friends say. God says to Job about his three friends. Uh, he says in Job 42, And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, 
that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. See, and that tells us, and I'm kind of going into this because this is the end of the friends conversation part. Even if they're asking some good questions, maybe even if they say some things that are not true, God has nothing good to say about these friends. He says his anger is aroused against them, which tells us it's truth also with action. And real truth results in godly action. And so they were falsely applying some maybe true things to Job because the problem is, like I've been saying, they think they got God figured out. They think they can look at things going on and come to conclusions about God. So even if they make some points here, the spirit behind their points is wrong. And that's what God, it says His wrath is aroused against them. So now, Christians, if we apply this now, to us, I think this is where most of us would be. That's where I would be. You know, born again Christians, and I know it's a Wednesday night service, which tends to, you know, make that more of the, you know, uh, population here is born again Christians. I think this is where we're wrong a lot of times. I know it's where I'm wrong. Thinking I know more about God than I really do. Now I would say, yeah, I'm a born again Christian. I know God. If you're a born-again Christian, you know God. That's part of it. It's having that relationship. I don't just know things about Him. I know Him, and He knows me. Same with anyone who's born again. Now, that being said, I don't know everything about Him. I don't know enough to be able to sit in His judgment seat and come to conclusions about people's relationship with God based on things I'm seeing in their lives. That's the problem Job's friends were doing, and that's why God's wrath was aroused against them, he says. Because they were doing that exact thing. And so, this is like the God know-it-all. Which again, this is where I'm putting myself. Think, think about you. And here's some of the things like I do. Maybe some characteristics. If we think we know more about God than we really do. It becomes kind of this relationship with the Bible idea. Now, I love the Bible. I'm not saying anything bad about the Bible. This is God's Word written to us. It is a great treasure and a great blessing. And every word in here is God's Word. Yeah, that's clear. But here's, here's what I'm talking about. This is what I do. Is turning this not into a way to get to know God and be in a relationship with Him, but to turn God into like this giant riddle that I can try to figure out. Which is okay. I mean, the intellectual pursuit of God is a great thing. But I'm talking about what's behind that. If I'm just trying to, you know, put all the cross-references together, and this type means this type, this refers to this, that symbolizes that, and it's not resulting in praise and love towards God, but just in like intellectual superiority, my relationship is not with God, it's with this book, and I've turned God just into this riddle that I can solve and know more things about than I really do. So it's important that we study God's Word to result in praise towards Him. This is a means to an end of loving God, not an end in itself. And that's where the issue is. And then see where that goes. When we think we know more about God than we really do is the Bible no longer changes us. Because this is God's word speaking to us. And this is what I've done. Hey, I I know a few things about the Bible. I've read the Bible a couple times. And now I know enough about the Bible to make it say what I want it to say. You see, so when I was first a Christian, I read things, Jesus saying, you know, judge not, lest you be judged. Like, wow, Jesus, yeah, that's a that's a great point. I shouldn't judge people. I still did it, but 
I agreed with him. Now, I know the loopholes. Well, yeah, don't judge, but you can judge with righteous judgment, which gives me like, okay, so I can judge again. I, I, I found the loophole. And see, that's, that's what I'm talking about is changing the Bible to fit us rather than letting God's word change us. That's the God know-it-all. No, I know the loopholes. I've got it figured out. I know how God works. I know the gray areas with him. That's not the spirit of Christianity is finding the gray areas with God so we can sin and do what we want to do. Then we start to do, you know, like what Joe's friend, saying what people deserve. You know, it's this thing where we've gotten really comfortable being in God's judgment seat, which shouldn't make us comfortable. Like we've got it, you know, contoured to our butt and we can sit in God's judgment seat because we've changed the word of God and we can look out at people's lives and say, that's God's wrath. They deserved it. That's what God does to people. Yeah, there is things about God's wrath on nations and so forth in the Bible. But to make that judgment, I, again, it's can you sit in God's judgment seat like that and do that? Do we know more about God than we think we do? Is that That's what I'm getting at. Which all this, you know, it keeps going, means we have no more awe of God. We lose all of the awe. And we'll talk about that in the next chapter, what Job responds with. Because when we think we got God figured out, when we've put all the riddles together and we've found all the loopholes and all that stuff, and we get in his judgment seat, then God's not all that big. If I got him figured out, I'm not in awe of him anymore. I know this is what God does. This is how he acts. I got him figured out. We'll say we're in awe of him, but we won't feel it. See, there's the, the difference. And again, I'm just talking from experience. That's what I do is I lose all my awe about it. Like, for example, it's Christmas coming up. That is an awe-inspiring thing that God would come to the earth to save us and enter into His creation. But sometimes, oh, it's Christmas. You know, the things don't give us awe anymore sometimes when we think we know more about God than we really do. And we start having answers for why does God dot, dot, dot. Again, that's something to be really careful about. Can we answer that question? Why does God dot, dot, dot? Not saying we can't necessarily. He says things in his words, but it's something to be careful about. We get into this like busy routine with things, and then we get stuck where we are because we've turned God into this thing we can figure out. He's no longer awe-inspiring, omnipotent, mighty God. He's like this book we got figured out, and I know quite a bit of things about him. I mean, that's where it leads to. And why I say this is kind of the danger of being a Christian more so than the other side we'll look at in a minute, is because this is what happened to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were, you know, the example for the religious people. Pharisees had great intentions. The Pharisees were trying to please God. They were trying to know His Word. They were trying to do the right things, but they got caught up in the religion part. And Jesus, you know, said things to them, like you tithe your mint and your spices, but you forget the love and justice and mercy of God. And they got caught up in the little things and putting all the things together and turning God into this little thing they can figure out and tell people everything they need to know about God because we got Him solved. So this is what we need to be careful of, that we don't lose our awe of God and say we got Him figured out. We have a real relationship with God. But don't let knowing God turn into I know everything about God. Which we wouldn't ever say, but I think we can act like that sometimes. And that's a good thing. 
Because think about eternity. So, you know, let's, let's result in praise with this. In eternity, we're going to be with God for eternity. It's countless, endless number of years. And we'll never know everything there is to know about God. And how amazing is that? We know Him personally, but we'll never exhaust the extent of His love. We'll never know exactly how merciful He is. We'll never know entirely how graceful He is because He is beyond our comprehension, although we do know Him. Because the Bible says His ways are not our ways. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. See, and that's a praiseworthy thing. We should always be in awe of Him, always growing in our relationship, and never just say, yeah, I got it, I kind of got Him figured out. Because we don't. And that is a great thing. I was like debating this in my mind the other day. If it's possible to know everything there is to know about like one aspect of God, would I even want to? And I don't think so, because then it kind of puts Him on our level. He's in our comprehension. But He is God. We need to remember that you know, we know Him and we read His Word, but it doesn't mean we can see everything that's going on and come to conclusions about that, because that's saying we know more about God than we really do. Now we're going to get into like the opposite part of it. So that's Bildad's position. He thinks he got it figured out because the stars aren't pure in his sight, how much less man who is a maggot. If people just don't matter to God. He's speaking for God, putting words in his mouth. But Job responds to that with some really good things, but then he asks this important question at the end. So let's now go on to chapter 26. It says, But Job answered and said, How have you helped him who is without power? How have you saved the arm that has no strength? How have you counseled one who has no wisdom? And how have you declared sound advice to many? To whom have you uttered words? And whose spirit came from you? So before Job responds to them, he he burns them a little bit, which he always does. And I love this burn because he's burning me. right? So he kind of nails this God-know-it-all type person. So here's the thing. He tells Bildad, How have you helped someone who doesn't have any power? Yeah, you might think you can speak for God, but how have you helped anyone? They came here to help. They didn't help. How have you saved the arm that has no strength? Yeah, all your so-called knowledge, Bildad, what's it really done? How have you counseled one who has no wisdom? How have you declared sound advice to many? I mean, again, he's, he's burning him. He's saying, all your knowledge hasn't resulted in any good in the world. And that's, again, the lesson of the Pharisees. They had more biblical knowledge than probably all of us combined. If they didn't obey it, they obeyed their traditions. And it's better to obey one verse of the Bible than to memorize the entire thing and not do any of it. They haven't done anything to help. So then he goes on here. Now he responds to what Bildad said specifically. And he tells him, God is not as simple as you make him out to be. If we think we can speak for God, he's not so simple that we can understand everything about him. See, Job has awe. And if we're in that, I know more about God, I think I know more about God than I really do, that mindset, let's get some of that awe back about God. Look at some of the things Job says. He says that God sees things that we don't see. Verses 5 and 6. The dead tremble, those under the waters and those inhabiting them. Sheol is naked before him, and destruction has no covering. See, God sees things that we don't see, which is what he's trying to 
Just as much as the friends are trying to cram their stuff down Job's throat, he's trying to cram this down their throat. No, you don't see from God's perspective. You can't tell me I have hidden sin. I know I don't. And by the way, God agrees with him. Job 1 and 2, God says Job was righteous. Right? So he sees things that we don't see. He has a perspective that we don't see. He has awe that he sees the dead. Sheol, the place of the dead, is naked before God. He sees in a dimension we don't even see. He sees things spiritually. He sees things we don't see. He does things that are unexplainable. And consider some of these things. Verse 7. He stretches out the north over empty space. And what he's talking about is God does things that we can't explain. He's talking about the sky, the northern sky. He stretches out the sky over empty space. See, think about that. Yeah, we have science and the sky says it's the light reflecting off the atmosphere and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we can explain some of these things, but we can't really. We can explain the science behind it, but it still doesn't explain. Why is there a sky that just hangs there? Science alone can't explain that. That's something incredible. There's a sky. How amazing is that? God created it. He hangs, stretches out the north over empty space. Then it says he hangs the earth on nothing. This is Job saying, you know, a few thousand years ago that the earth is floating in space. Uh, he hangs the earth on nothing. Yeah, we can say, oh, well, that's gravity and earth has a gravitational pull and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that helps. That can help us to understand God's laws and what he's done in nature. But can we really explain why there's a giant ball floating in space? That's incredible that God did that. He says he binds up the water in his thick clouds yet the clouds are not broken under it. You think, rain. He's talking about rain. How incredible that there's rain, that God would create that, that we need life to live. Earth has a finite amount of water, yet there's a system to recycle it continually. Yeah, and there's the water cycle, it evaporates, and then it rains, and that's great to understand, but really think about it. How can we explain rain? God does things. He creates it. It says, he covers the face of his throne and spreads his cloud over it. He drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. So he's talking about the sky, the horizon. And so, yeah, there's the science part of things. I'm not, I was saying it in a mocking voice, but I shouldn't be mocking it because science helps us to understand what God has done. So I'm not, I'm trying, I guess I'm mocking the only science viewpoint because, yeah, we can explain the water cycle, but Rain, why would there be rain? Like, how would that even happen? See, these are things God does. And He, like, everything in His creation, it says He reveals Himself in His creation. What it can be known about God is plain to everyone because He's revealed it, it says in Romans. And so even in, in like, this room, the tiniest atom, the tiniest particle of the atom to the entire universe created by God. And see, these are just some of the things, ah, not to mention... People, like the pinnacle of God's creation. Every single person is the pinnacle of God's creation. That's the last thing he created because we are made in his image and likeness. See, these are things that are unexplainable. Joe has awe about God. He hasn't reduced him to just this little thing he can figure out. He says he sees things we don't see. He does things that are unexplainable. And then he does things that we can't do. Verse 11 through 13, the pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his rebuke. 
He stirs up the sea with his power, and by his understanding he breaks up the storm. By his spirit he adorned the heavens, by his hand, or his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. So yeah, we can seed clouds and make thunderstorms and stuff, but really we're working not from scratch. Like we already have the recipe, we're just following the recipe. God does things we can't do. And so what he's getting at is Bildad, you don't know everything there is to know about God. You can't even explain a rain cloud. None of us can. We can say the science, but we can't explain why there's a rain cloud without God. God is so incredible. I don't know where I was going with that. I just kind of lost my train of thought, but it's all right. I do that once in a while. I felt like I was repeating myself and I got distracted. Uh, anyway, it's the awe he's getting at. Don't just reduce God to this little thing you figured out and that you can sit in his judgment seat and make him say what you want him to say because we can't even figure out some simple things that God does like that. That's the point Job's getting at. But then he ends with this question, verse 14. Indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways and how small a whisper we hear of him. I mean, so even this, this is just like barely the, scratching the surface about God. But the thunder of his power... Who can understand? And so that question brings up the other side of this thing. That Bildad thinks he knows more about God than he really does. But Job asks this question of like, can we really know God? Can we really understand Him? The the question kind of brings up, there's sort of two ways this plays out. I wouldn't say necessarily Job is in either of these, but this is, again, where the question, he's begging the question here. The first way is the more innocent way. So this is, we're dealing now with the issue of, is God really knowable? Can I know Him? Can I have a relationship with God, a personal relationship? Now there's some who would say, and again, this is the more innocent way of looking at it, is how could we possibly know God? It's kind of what Job is saying. These are just the mere edges of His ways. Who can understand His power? So in other words, how could we possibly know Him? How could we as sinners have any type of relationship with a God who does all these things? So some people have that view that God is completely unknowable. And they'll tend to say things like, I just think God, da, da, da. I think God would, you know, blah, blah, blah. So rather than knowing God in his word and what he said, it's just kind of thinking this is what God would do. And that would show a lack of understanding on knowing God. We don't just have to, I think God, da, da, da. We know God. He tells us about himself in this book. And now when I was a new Christian, I tended to act more this way. I didn't even know you could know God, really. I didn't know that you could study the Bible and have a personal relationship with God and really know Him. I just thought, you know, people just kind of knew stuff about Him and they can make some conclusions about it. But one of the things that motivated me to get to know God was uh, before I was a Christian, I was an atheist. On my way back from work, I listened to to Every Man an Answer on my way home, uh, just as like entertainment, because I was an atheist and I would laugh about it, and it would uh, give me that entertainment about it. But then my marriage was falling apart, and God used that to bring me to to Him. So all that together, and when I would listen to things like that, uh, you know, Pastor Mike on Every Man an Answer, plus some other pastors I was listening to, I was like, man, you can really know God. I mean, he knows a lot of things about God. I didn't know you could be like that. I mean, I knew people in my life who worship God, like Adrian's mom is a great, you know, Christian woman, but I never considered that, that you can really know God. And I think there's people out there that, that just think it's like this big mystery and we can't know anything about him. Well, that's not true. There's a ton of things 
That we can know him and not just know facts like Facebook friend, but really know him. So if you're a new Christian and you're not sure about that, I mean, that's encouraging you. Yeah, you can know God. You can grow in your relationship with him. You know, he's not entirely knowable, but he's revealed enough about himself that we can get to know him. But here's kind of the word of caution with that is a lot of times people are more concerned with God, what God has concealed rather than what he's revealed. So sometimes we get hung up on this like, What's God's secret plan in my life? What does he really want me to do? And get hung up on figuring that out. Rather than, again, about 2,000 pages right here, he's told us what he wants us to do with our lives. And so let's be more concerned about what he's revealed in this book than what he's concealed from our understanding. Because God's word is sufficient for everything in our Christian life. Everything God wanted us to know about him is in here. And we can trust that fact that he hasn't left anything out that we should know. He hasn't given us more than we need to know. It's everything in here. Every word is inspired by God and profitable for correction, reproof, training in righteousness, all those things. So let's be more concerned with what he's revealed than what he's concealed. Some of those hidden things are trying to figure out, well, a lot of the answers are in here. It's just we don't know we can find them. This is all the things God has wanted us to know from him. So that's kind of the more innocent side of this. Now, let me get to the more insidious part. Hey, this is where I'm going to be a little mean. Um, because it, it's this mentality of, I know enough about God. And this is very dangerous. So this is, okay, it, it, and why I'm going to get a little mean here is because people are in this position because they go to church and hear teaching and never read the Bible and think because they know a couple facts about God. I mean, everything is set. Basically, they're God's Facebook friend. I know some facts about God. I've liked some Bible verses. I must be saved because I quit swearing as much as I used to. And it's that whole idea of, well, I'm a pretty good person now, but not having a personal relationship. God's word never changes them because if God is just your Facebook friend, you know some stuff about him. No one in the history of the world, I'm speaking, I'm generalizing a lot, but no one's changed their mind from a Facebook post. And so if God is just your Facebook friend and you just know some stuff about him, he's not going to change your life because I know enough about God. I don't need to grow in my relationship with him. And so this person is going to go to church because people listen to his crappy opinions because it makes them think I'm okay with God for another month. I've checked the box and I'm set. I know enough about God. I don't need to grow in my relationship with Him. Again, I want to like cut through this here because this is statistically most people in American churches are in this situation. I know enough about God. He's my Facebook friend. I know some facts about Him. And I go to church on the weekends, but He's not the center of my life. As Jesus says, we're putting new wine into old wineskin. So we're just trying to Tack God onto our life, not let Him change us, because He's not the center of our life. See, I mean, this is very dangerous and damnable to say, I know some stuff about God, but I'm not interested in growing in my relationship with Him and growing in holiness and righteousness. Because it's really kind of gross. We have God who is holy, almighty, omnipotent, omniscient, loving, merciful, gracious, who died for your sin, which if you're calling yourself a Christian, you acknowledge that. You at least give mental assent to that. Yet, 
He's not really worth more than two minutes out of my day. See, I'm not saying you're saved by like how many minutes you spend with God. What I'm saying is, if you know someone and you love someone, you want to spend time with them and not just tack it on to your life and not do anything else with that. See, I'm not talking about works. Uh, James says, show your faith by your works, that kind of thing. So true faith will result in change. And there's so many people just stuck there. I know a couple of things about God. That's good enough. I got my religious box checked. I can go in front of God and say, hey, I quit cussing so much. I lessened my road rage. Let me in. That's not what it's about. That's not what the Christian life is about. So we have Bildad. I know more about God than I, or I think I know more, more about God than I really do. Job asks this question, who can really understand God? What I'm saying is, we can know Him. And that's where I'm going to end here. How we know God. First, I want to prove that it's possible to know Him. I'm not just making this up. Biblically, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord. Exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight. Philippians 3.10 says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. In John 17, 3, Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. First John 4, 6, and 7 says, We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. See, there's a lot more, but what I'm trying to say is that's the relationship God desires of us, which is an incredible, awe-inspiring thing. Not that we know some stuff about Him, but that we know Him. That's the relationship He wants to have with us. But what we need to know to have that relationship with Him is we ruin that relationship already. See, going back to the Garden of Eden, when God had made a perfect environment for humanity, God was living that relationship with us. It says that God dwelt with man in the garden. So God was in direct fellowship with humanity. Yet Adam and Eve chose to disobey sin against literally the one thing God said not to do and ruin the relationship. So God, well, I shouldn't say ruin, but severed it. And so God... Stops his direct fellowship with humanity. He kicks them out of a gar- the garden, and that's an act of mercy, because he was worried they were going to eat of the tree of life, and that they would have eternal life in this sin-infested world, which is, that's really what hell is. Eternal life where there's the presence of sin. And so God kicks them out of the garden so they don't eat of that fruit also, and he provides a covering for them because they know their nakedness. So that's an act of mercy, but what it says is, humanity and God are now severed because God is holy, and man is sinful. And as we talked about last week, part of a loving God has to be wrath and justice, or there is no love for people who've been hurt. So that's why the separation in the relationship. So in a, just going to a human relationship, so if I ruin my relationship with Adrian, 
I don't get to make up with it on my terms. Well, I don't get to say I ruined our relationship. If you want it back, you got to listen to my terms. That's not how it works. We ruin the relationship by sinning. So it's on God's terms that we restore it, to have the relationship. And his terms is this. It's not by liking the Facebook post, not by knowing enough about him. It's through Jesus. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because your payment for your sin is not good enough. See, coming to God and saying, I know this, this, this about you, that's not what it's about. It's Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We approach the Father through Him because on the cross, He paid for our sin and gave us His righteousness. See, now the problem though, that's, our, that's where we get our relationship with God. That's the gospel. A lot of us stop there. And that's what I was talking about. Oh, that's good enough. But that's like stopping your marriage at the wedding day. There's the whole marriage now to live. And that's where we grow in our relationship. And here's how it is. It's we grow in our relationship with God by spending time with Him. Wow. Hey, you spend time with someone to grow in your relationship with them. Reading the Bible, because that's how He talks to us. He reveals Himself in His Word. Praying to Him, that's how we talk to Him. Talking so important. Serving, because Jesus came as the ultimate servant. And the more you love someone, the more you're like them. Fellowshipping. Where two or more are gathered, He is there in the midst of us. God's presence is in us and with us tonight. See, and that's how we spend time with God. So here's a little way how you can tell. Here's a trick. See, I learned some tricks as a teacher. How to tell when uh, students don't really read the books and they just kind of BS their way through it. Uh, They make just sweeping generalizations is one thing. And then they only repeat what I say. They never actually take something out of the book. So how you might tell us if you don't spend enough time hearing from God is if you never take anything out of the book. What I mean by that is saying, this pastor says that. I heard in this sermon, church doctrine says this. Which those things are fine, but that might reveal you don't need to hear from those guys. You can hear from God right here. So hear from him right here. Spend time with him. Then you learn what he likes and what he doesn't like. And as you... Grow more like Jesus, that shows you're spending time with Him. The people you spend time with, you become more like. And let Him change you. See, it's all about that, growing in our relationship with Him. And that's what it's really all about. Like I said, maybe the most important thing in this lifetime to figure out is our personal relationship with God through Jesus. The time we spend with Him, loving, being in awe of Him. If you aren't interested in knowing God more and more and more, I wonder if you know God at all. And that's what I'd wonder. Is My wife is a lot easier to figure out than God is, but I still don't know everything there is to know about her. I still want to learn more things about her. I want to get to know her better because I love her. There's no way that I understand everything there is about God because I've read the Bible a few times. I want to keep learning. We should, we should want to spend time with Him. Learn what He likes and what He doesn't like so that He can change me. So if you're not a Christian, and if, if you're the one who says, I know enough about God, I would consider yourself in that category. Because if you really know Him, you wouldn't say that. Unless you're growing in a personal relationship with God, you don't know Him. If you know someone, you grow in your relationship with them. 
That's the relationship God wants of us. That's why he died for us, is so we could be righteous and have that relationship with him. If you're a Christian, what an amazing opportunity, privilege we have. Let's be in awe of that. We know God, not just about him. Like in his word, he says, we know him. Let's not take that for granted. Keep your awe. Don't turn him into a riddle you can understand. Grow in him. Spend time with him. Let him change you. Because if Jesus says eternal life is knowing God, eternal life starts now. Because we know God now. Although now we know in part, one day we'll see him and we'll know him face to face. Let's get ready for that day. Let's pray. Uh, Father, first I want to thank you so much that we can know you because you've sent your son into this world to live perfectly, to die for our sin and give us perfect righteousness. God, we thank you for that and help us to grow in that relationship with you. Not to think we got you all figured out and we can speak for you and and just turn you into something smaller than you really are, but help us to keep our awe of you, God, in everything that you've done. From everything to the rain clouds to the salvation you offer to be in awe of you, Lord. Help us to spend time with you, get to know you, read what you've revealed for us, talk to you, serve with you, God, and be with your people. Because where two or more are gathered, you're there as well, God. Lord, I pray for anyone who's not a Christian, who calls himself a Christian, but isn't interested in knowing you, that God, you would turn their hearts to you in repentance, that they would ask forgiveness for that and and ask for your help to grow in that relationship. God, for those of us who do know you, help us to know you more and more and never lose sight of who you are and help us to encourage one another as we grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or call us at 800-357-4226. Don't forget to catch next week's morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship.